0: It's Monday, March 28th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. President Biden wrapped up his European trip with a message of unity for European allies, reassurances for Poland, and a gap that some thought was him calling for regime change in Russia. We also saw a new round of poll numbers that don't look good for Biden. Approval rating is low, and confidence in handling of Russia and the economy also took hits. Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News, joins us for more. Next, the return to in-person learning for students this year has yielded some improvements in test scores in reading and math, but still not to pre-pandemic levels. Young students still seem to be struggling, especially those that were learning to read in the last two years. Sarah Rendazzo, Education Reporter at The Wall Street Journal, joins us for how test scores are rising. Finally, last June, the Department of Defense released a much-hyped UFO report, and it landed without much information. Now, an activist has published a longer, redacted report that members of Congress were briefed with. While still lacking a lot of clear information, we did get an idea for other sections in the report that focused on possible new, advanced technologies, and most interestingly, the most common shapes of UFOs observed. Jason Kebler, editor-in-chief at Motherboard, joined us for this latest development. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in.
1: We will
2: have a different future, a brighter future, rooted in democracy and principles, hope and light of
3: decency and dignity, of freedom and possibilities. For God's sake, this man cannot remain
0: Wow. power. Joining us now is Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News. Thanks for joining us, Ginger. Thanks for having me. Well, President Biden just wrapped up his trip to Europe. Uh, He's back in Washington on Sunday. He was there for three days with some uh, meetings with NATO, uh, uh, European allies. He was in Brussels and then traveled to Poland and gave a big speech in Warsaw. Let's talk about some of the big takeaways there. So he definitely was pushing a big message of unity, saying we need to provide some long-term pressure On Russia, reassurances for Poland, they're doing playing a huge part in all of this. Probably one of the biggest moments was this uh, uh, moment where he said, for God's sake, this man cannot remain in power, talking about Putin, and that caused the uproar. People were saying, is he calling for regime change? What's going on with there? So uh, a lot of big things going on.
3: That's right, so his line in his speech in Poland where he said Putin cannot remain in power was definitely a head turner. Um, It sounded like he was calling for regime change. He was calling for Putin to be ousted from the head of the Russian government. The White House very quickly backtracked on that and said, no, 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 he's not (laughs) calling for regime change. He just is saying that Putin is part of the problem um, and that he's the reason that this is happening. But it was definitely one where I think a lot of folks are gonna assume he said what he what he meant and then took it back.
0: Everybody's very familiar with President Biden. They, they know how he speaks. It didn't really seem like that big of a deal. But when it comes to players like Russia, right, they're going to use that to ratchet up the intensity. They're going to use that as uh, more fodder for w- whatever the, the war is that's going on right there.
3: I mean that's absolutely right. The what well, we understand the message to be inside of Russia from Putin and the Kremlin to the Russian people is that this is really they need to do this to protect themselves from the Americans. That America has set up sort of a shell operation in the Ukraine. That we are threatening Russians via our our influence in Ukraine, and so having biden say that of course it's going to be something that the russians try to use as proof uh, that the americans are really behind all of this and that the americans are putting their country in danger
0: i wanted to move on to uh, some of these nbc news poll numbers that we got some new stuff not looking good for president biden so overall his approval ratings at 40 percent, the lowest it's been but when it comes to questions like handling russia handling the economy The majority say that he's not doing the right job. The only thing it looked like that had an improvement was his handling of coronavirus
3: cases are dipping. The number of people who have COVID right now is falling. And we've tended to see his approval numbers on COVID track with cases. So when there's more cases, people don't approve of the job he's doing. When there are less cases, people are happy with the job that he is doing. But you're right. The numbers on the economy were really terrible when you look at them. 63% of uh, Americans say that they disapprove of his handling of the economy and only 33% approve. I mean, from about a year ago in March of twenty twenty of April of twenty twenty one, that numbers were were basically reversed, fifty two percent approved and forty three percent disapproved.
0: I wanted to end off by talking a little bit about Jenny Thomas, the wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. She's in hot water right now over communication she had with GOP lawmakers. Um, saying they should do more, be out in the streets to uh, uh, aggressively, more aggressively support President Trump. Uh, This is causing a lot of uh, issues for her, for Clarence Thomas in relation to the January 6th investigations.
3: That's right, Jenny Thomas has a long time been a conservative activist in Washington. So she's well known in DC for sort of pushing conservative issues. But um, we now know, thanks to text messages that were um, leaked by, that are in the possession of the January 6th committee, we don't know where they came from, but they're in their possession, we understand, um, that she was really lobbying former Chief of Staff, White House Chief of Staff, Mark Meadows, um, to try to do more to overturn the election. She believed sort of the lies that were being spread about fraud um, and thought that the election had been stolen, even though it hadn't. You know, Donald Trump had lost. Um, And then my colleague, Scott Wong, had an exclusive on Friday. Uh, She was also encouraging, as you said, Republican lawmakers to get out and protest um, the results. She thought that uh, they needed to be in the streets marching because of the, the, the election to try to get it overturned.
0: Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News. Thank you very much for joining us.
3: Thanks for having me. Once
2: you get to third or fourth grade, they say you stop learning to read and start reading to learn. And so if you don't have the learning learning to read part down, you can't read your science textbook and your social studies
0: and everything else. Joining us now is Sarah Randazzo. Education reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Sarah. Sure thing. Let's check in with what's going on with our students right now and their test scores. Obviously, throughout the pandemic, it was a huge disruptor. We know that it didn't do so well for a lot of students. It was really tough transitioning to the remote learning, tough to keep focus. And we saw test scores drop through all of that, both in reading and and math. Right now, what we're seeing is a, a new study uh, showing that students are making some of those gains back. They're doing better uh, now that in-person classes have resumed in a lot of places. But we're still not back to that those pre-pandemic levels. So a lot of work to be done. There's there's so much information here. So Sarah, help us walk through some of this. What are we seeing with our students now that we're back in school?
2: Yeah, yeah. So for a while, people have been wondering, will we ever get back to that level we would have been at had there been no pandemic and kids just continue to learn at a normal pace? And it's looking like, you know, being out of school for the two years that many kids were out, it's hard to come back from and you're not just going to have instant recovery. But so what some of these studies are tracking now is looking at the growth throughout the school year. So this recent study showed, OK, kids start in the fall still much further behind than they were the year before. But from fall to winter, they were really advancing like you would expect a kid to advance within a school year. So people are kind of talking now about growth and saying, OK, even if kids maybe don't have all the knowledge they would have had pre-pandemic, are they just, you know, from the beginning of the school year to the end, are they marching along and learning new skills throughout? And that's, you know, a measure of, of kids, you know, getting back to somewhat normal and, and doing, doing well in school again. Right.
0: The way you put in the article too, so early in the pandemic, Kids were struggling with math skills the most. Uh, A lot of people said maybe because parents weren't as adept to help them with that. Right now, the reading, uh, now that you bring us bringing us to present time, the reading is still behind right now.
2: Yeah, and so especially, and so this, um, the test results came out from a company called Renaissance. It does something called the STAR test that is an optional test districts can do to help um, measure assessment throughout the year. And so all 50 states, there's kids who take it. And so it was a smattering from across the country of, of kids who take these STAR tests. And what they found is that the kids who really only have had a pandemic education, those kindergarten and first graders, especially those trying to learn to read in that period, are really struggling you know in all of their growth and so those who haven't yet learned to read really had the lowest growth scores of any of the cohort that they looked at and so there's a bit of a concern about those kids who are still learning to read or haven't yet learned to read and you know kind of where things go for them because learning to read is crucial for pretty much your entire life as yeah. you can imagine once you get to 3rd or 4th grade they say you stop learning to read and start reading to learn and so if you don't have the learning learning to read part down, you can't read your science textbook and your social studies and
0: everything else. You know, there was a lot of students that attended this uh, program. It's called the Institute of Reading Development. They're a literacy organization. and They said about 49% of those entering first grade this school year were reading below expectations. So just kind of illustrating, you know, those kids that were doing that pandemic reading, learning for the first time, uh, it was just very difficult for it to click for them.
2: Yeah, that's definitely what the Institute found and things like phonics and just learning do you know the sound k? do you know the sound duh, you know, students are having to go over that at a later age than, than maybe some of them would have before. And so there's a few, you know, building blocks in learning to read, phonics is one of them and there's a few others and teachers are really having to kind of start at the basics again and make sure kids have all those building blocks so they can really learn how to read.
0: And you spoke to a number of uh, teachers and administrators also, you know, they even for themselves, they were pretty alarmed when they came back and they saw how stunted they were academically and emotionally.
2: Yeah, I spoke with districts in Nebraska, Florida and California, so a cross section, and all of them said that the in-person element, returning in person really has just helped hugely um, for some kids when they're home. You know, teachers and administrators were noticing they just, especially the early, le- early readers, they just weren't talking to as many people in the day. And so they just weren't able to even practice their language skills in the way that you are in a classroom and things are being asked of you and you're turning to talk to your friend next to you. And so just physically being present and being able to engage and get more feedback, doing hands-on games versus just reading, it all really has helped get Mm -hmm. kids back. And certainly everyone did the best they could. Districts did everything they could to adapt to the online learning. And I think a lot of Good development and especially good tech developments happened where now more kids have access to computers and the like. So it wasn't all bad, but there's a lot to be said of being in person um, and how that helps educate kids.
0: And how do we continue to get back? You know, some of the people you spoke to said they'd like to maybe teach fewer concepts so that the kids could have a deeper learning of whatever they're teaching rather than trying to cram everything in, uh, trying to make up for so much stuff.
2: Yeah, I think people are trying to rethink, okay, what does it mean to get back to normal? Are we going to really try to tick off every single box of what someone should have had if if they were having a, quote, normal education? Or should we just keep moving forward and just try to continue to engage and and give kids lessons and, um, you know, go maybe, like that one educator said, go maybe deeper on a few concepts rather than trying to teach every single thing on a chapter test. And so I think educators are looking now and figuring out what you know, going forward to get back to some kind of normalcy. And I think overall they're saying as long as kids are continuing to grow and continue to advance, that's what we can do right now. And that's a good, good progress and, and, and good for
0: the kids. Sarah Randazzo, education reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us.
2: Sure thing. Thank you.
1: I don't think that what's behind the black boxes in this report, the redacted sections are like, hey, we have proof of aliens. Like there's nothing that right. suggests that that's the case. But it does suggest that there is a lot more that they know, like more specifics. Joining us now is
0: Jason Kebler, editor in chief at Motherboard. Thanks for joining us, Jason.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: Well, wanted to bring you on to talk a little bit about UFOs. So last June, the Department of Defense released this. Long-awaited document that was going to be the big UFO report. Things that we knew about what was going on with uh, UFOs—they call them unidentified aerial phenomenon now. That's the technical term for them. And you know, the report came out. There really wasn't much in there. They basically said, "We know that there's reports of UFOs. They're not saying that they don't exist." It was very heavily on the on the military side. You know, we need to know uh, what kind of technical things are happening with this it could it be you know adversaries that have uh, new technologies that we need to be aware of it was very much kind of in that vein so for ufo fans it left them looking for a lot more but right now what we got was uh, a longer version of that report with a lot of redacted parts that was just released online so tell us a little bit about that jason
1: yeah the original report that came out last june was a huge bummer it was like it was really hyped as you said it was supposed to detail the pentagon's advanced aerial threat intelligence program which was this huge ufo program that was revealed by the new york times back in 2017 and then it came out and it was basically like yes we have this program there were 143 sightings between 2004 and 2021 but we have no idea what they are could be russia give us more money like it it very much read like a plea (laughs) for more funding totally um But this guy, uh, John Greenwald at the Black Vault, which is this uh, transparency organization filed for a mandatory classification review, declassification review, which is basically where you ask the government to say like, hey, did all of this need to be classified? And so the version that was released to the public was six pages. This classified version that was given to Congress was 24 pages. And yes, it's it's a lot more interesting. Um, unfortunately, it's a lot of it's redacted, yeah. but you can just tell from the titles of the different sections that the report that Congress got was way cooler than the one that the public got. Totally. Uh, for example, there's a section called common shapes of UFOs, where it's like quite literally a photographs of UFOs. Uh, there's also a section called less common slash irregular shapes. So it's like, well, what are those shapes? Like, what, <laughs> right. what's in that report? What's so, behind the black box, you know?
0: So, so let me, let me read that. And then we can expand on it a little bit because it, this is kind of under a subheading of there are potential patterns that do emerge, meaning these are the most commonly described shapes that they've seen. So I'm going to read from the redacted part, just real briefly. The most common shape described by military personnel in the reporting was a blank, Military aviators described many of these blank objects as blank or blank. Several sightings were blank and resembled shapes like a blank or a blank. So there's a lot of detail in there that we're not seeing. And, you know, in some of the videos that were released more recently in reporting by the New York Times and everything, a lot of them focused on this tic-tac shape. That was one of the big ones that we saw recently. And obviously the mind begins to wander. We know all the other things, the flying saucers, all that stuff. So they have a set of things that we just don't know yet
1: obviously anytime that you're talking about ufos or unidentified aerial phenomena which is the new sort of uh, terminology that's being used by most people in the industry there's always this idea of like what does the government know that it's not telling us is there some sort of cover-up like what's actually going on the mind can wander in a lot of different ways but this report shows that obviously the u.s government does know more than it's letting on I don't think that what's behind the black boxes in this report the redacted sections are like hey we have proof of aliens like there's nothing that suggests that that's the case but it does suggest that there is a lot more that they know like more specifics some of the other sections of the report that have been redacted talk about individual instances or case studies of specific ufos that were cited by uh navy pilots which we know that some of the videos that have been released came from navy pilots but It seems as though there are additional incidents that the military and the u.s government haven't talked about there's also a section in here that says that the fbi has been helping the dod basically investigate these to see if there's any sort of criminal activity associated with them so obviously You know, some people think that these things are aliens. The government has never said that. Primarily, the the theory is that it's some sort of classified U.S. project, you know, like military aircraft or aircraft from another country. And I guess there have also been a lot of cases where a UFO is reported and then it ends up being a consumer drone or a weather balloon that is partially deflated or something like that and so i guess the fbi is investigating it. it looks like here there's four different boxes i don't know if it's four different cases that the fbi did investigate or is investigating but that's kind of like how i read it it yeah. seems like
0: these other sections that we got a little bit more information on too. another section a handful of uap appear to demonstrate advanced technology so this is where those weird movements in the skies that a lot of these navy pilots describe these weird movements this is kind of addressed in that section you know an object you know flying in the wind where the wind isn't affecting it at all you know these propulsion systems that you don't really see what it is you know you don't see an engine on it or anything so they they describe some of this in these redacted versions, obviously, that we can't really get an eye on
1: on one hand, it's really frustrating that this stuff is redacted. On the other hand, I think it gives us a framework for the types of information that the u s government finds interesting. It's like obviously you the mind can wander like we've said a few times here about what might be getting redacted here, but at least now we know kind of what they're investigating, and now that we know that this longer version of the report has gone through a declassification review. It's not outside the realm of possibility that someone will leak it at some point or that the public will see the full version of the report at some point, which is obviously something we'd be super interested yeah. in. It's like, you want to know what what's there.
0: Jason Kebler, editor-in-chief at Motherboard. Thank you very much for joining us.
1: Yeah, thanks so much. Have a good one.